Welcome to Wealth Made Simple with Shaz, where you'll learn how to master your money through business, property, and tax saving strategies. Your host has collectively helped his clients make tens of millions of pounds in additional profits through these strategic approaches to business. Introducing Shaz Nawaz, an award-winning chartered accountant, property tax expert, entrepreneur, and property investor. Good afternoon, everybody. Shaz Nawaz here. And today I've got a fantastic guest who's got a lot of business, has been known to me for many, many years, uh, and somebody who I've admired uh, a lot in business. And I know uh, he's got a, a lot of business expertise uh, and the best thing about him is he likes to share his open uh, in terms of sharing his knowledge experience expertise uh, and i know myself i've learned a lot from him as i have done from others by them openly sharing and that's one of the main reasons of course for having this interview is to share that information knowledge expertise with you so hopefully you can take those ideas uh, and grow and flourish so my guest today is ian forsyth who was born in Kilmarnock, but Ian, I promise you, we're not gonna hold that against you today. Uh, uh, he moved. Uh, he moved. He moved to Peterborough uh, pretty early on in his life, and has been here ever since. Such a wonderful city is Peterborough. Once you come here, you never want to go back. I know how you feel, uh, Ian. He's been self-employed since 1987, so you can imagine a whole host of experience. Uh, and he grew his, his bedroom like most entrepreneurs or small business owners uh, started it in his bedroom and then grew it to a 10 million pound turnover business employing over 120 people over a 27 year period which is phenomenal and we're going to talk more about that of course uh, as we progress this interview at the moment ian's working with small and medium-sized businesses helping them with their systems processes uh, so I would, would assume, Ian, that you're uh, like a non-exec director or a leader going in there asking those hard questions or possibly even a chairman. And again, we're going to cover all of those things uh, as we progress. You're also a director of PKB Limited, which is a property company, one of my most favorite subjects. So we're going to cover that too with commercial property. And you're also working with MNKO as, a, as the chairman, uh, which is a uh, company which is your business involved in manufacturing, selling kitchens and bedroom products, which obviously is your experience and expertise. And you're a director of, of Opportunity Peterborough. And you say you were surprised and delighted to be invited to become the Queen's representative as Deputy Lieutenant of Cambridgeshire and in 2019, uh, which is fantastic. So welcome and thank you ian for being with us today thank you very much uh, very good it actually makes me wonder where i've got the time to do this interview when you read all that jobs that i've got there it sounds i'm really really busy well we're going to talk about how you manage your time and how you manage yourself too so what's keeping you busy at the moment um, i think I'm, I'm i'm being kept busy by spreading my infectious positive nature um, and, and personality on a lot of people who perhaps don't um, perceive things at the moment as being recoverable. Uh, and they make the most definitely are. This is a technical situation. So I'm speaking to a lot of people, a lot of business owners, um, advising, probably giving opinions really to just back them up uh, on some of the tough decisions that they're having to make uh, regarding the present situation. But I think it's uh, pretty much all moving in the right direction. Most people have got their head around it, all the leaders that need to have. So yeah, it's um, now a time where I can probably reflect on it and uh, 
and look to start working on some major projects again. So if someone's got a, a small business employing five people hit by COVID as have most sectors, as a general blanket kind of thing, what would your advice be to them? I think, I think there's three things you need to know now and you've always needed to know those, which is where, where you've been, where you are and where you're going. And I, I think if you've got no history and no numbers to look back on to see how your particular business is faring at this time, then it's difficult to then know what to do and you could be influenced by national numbers or statistics that are thrown around. So it's about getting the realistic part of the business which money makes the world go round. So it's finding out what the cash position is, uh, what the cash position allows you to do, and what a steady uh, amount of growth will bring to a business, and what extra opportunities have come from COVID-19. It's interesting you say that, because oh, I mean, you obviously know I'm an accountant by profession, and so many people struggle with gaining clarity in terms of where they want to be uh, and as you've touched on people not knowing where they, they want to be means they're never ever going to get there uh, and along with that of course and you're absolutely right uh, people don't manage their cash flow they don't manage their numbers on a regular basis uh, and that gets them in a lot of difficulty so when you started off in your early days did you always like have a business plan or a clear vision or did that develop as you Got it more experienced. I, I had personal drivers really. I, I knew what, is, what I wanted to achieve. I wanted to be the best that I could be. And I, and I think I say to a lot of people, you know, everybody uses a sat nav now, a, a navigation system. And I always say to them, put success in there and see where it will take you. And the truth is, it, it won't take you anywhere because it's not a destination, it's a journey. And I think that most people, I found very quickly that the harder I worked, the more successful I was. And uh, I listened to an awful lot of people around about me. And I took from them what I believed to be true, and then I worked with it. And um, I had some great, fantastic years with it. But um, there was no kind of sitting down and, and trying to work out the molecular qualities of an atom or anything like that. It was a case of, this is what I, I, I'd like to do, this is what I've got experience in. I haven't got experience in that, so I need to bring that experience into the business. And, and that's all I've ever done, so it's just evolved. Um, if you'd have said to me, 127 people, 10 million, um, nine showrooms, I'd probably go, mm, not sure about that. But when it's one at a time, it's a bit like having children, isn't it? You just, you just have them and you get on with it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that, that, that's good advice. You also said there's going to be opportunities through COVID-19. What are some of the, those opportunities that you can see or envision that you think people should be thinking about? I, I think I started my thinking on how, how content people were um, with having 80% of their overall salary. And when somebody loses 20% of their salary and they're content with that, I looked and I thought, well, the reason that they're content is probably to go with blue skies. So I sat there for a little while, looked at that blue sky and just thought, you know, what are there? What, what opportunities will there be out there? And, and, and there might be people who are evaluating their position, their time in life, where they might think that, you know, after all this, I'm gonna bring my retirement forward. So there may be businesses that we could reverse into our business. It, it may well be that people are reviewing now their supply chain. Uh, we had SOS calls from people who had house completions to fulfill and their kitchen suppliers had closed. So we were given opportunities to go there. Those relate, relationships and opportunities that we've tried to get, we've now been able to get those because 
just by offering the service, most people wouldn't want it, but we phoned around and we said, look, we can do anything we can do. And, and I've encouraged every business to just think about now, I call it your fair share and your unfair share. And, and nobody will ever send you an extra Christmas card or knock you off their Christmas card list because you take your unfair share. And I'd always encourage everybody to do that. Absolutely, that, that's good advice. Uh, so, if if you were working with a small business owner, for example, right now, would you get them, apart from obviously focusing on cash, which you, you already mentioned, would you get them to start thinking about maybe growing their business or looking for other growth opportunities above and beyond what you already shared? Or would you say, preserve what you've got and see through this for the next six to 12 months and then think about the next stage? profile. Um, if you have a business, that is your world. So yeah. I would say to any employer of people that what you need to do is to evaluate what you would like to do. Do you want to grow the business? Do you want to grow the profitability? Do you want to grow the size? Do you want to sell the business eventually? What is your succession plan? And, and those are the things that generally open up discussions. And, and some people probably a large percentage, 65, 70% of the people say, well, well, I don't really, Christmas is, is, is my next kind of thing I'm thinking about. And, and, and that generally tends to be where people are, but they work very, very hard for many, many years and run some fantastic businesses. I read about your one today, you know, succession planning through, through inheritance tax. And, and there are so many things that you need to do, but it's not about what you do with your accountants and solicitors, it's how you shape and mould your business, your employees, you know, if somebody's always done what they've done for 20 years and you're expecting them to take over running a business, it's not going to happen. So you have to start that training and nurturing process as soon as possible. Yeah, absolutely right. And you, it also, I think, what, what I found is sometimes people might have 20 years worth of experience, but really they've only got one year worth of experience because they just repeat the, the, the same year again and again and again. So they don't learn from their mistakes. They don't think differently. Uh, they don't, as you said, which is quite important and it's had a big impact on, on my own business journey, is seek external advice. So they just keep repeating the same things again and again and again, getting the same outcomes. So on that, talk us through when you started your business and when you started scaling it, well, what were some of the key challenges back in those days that you faced? I think you're only as good. People talk about assets as balance sheets. Um, you can't record your staff on your balance sheet. But the, but the staff are the biggest asset. And, and it, certainly in the last few years, it's not been easy to recruit because unemployment's been low. We don't know what's going to happen there now. But I think the thing is, it's very easy to fill a desk in a computer with somebody who's not capable. And, and I think that it's all about the strength of any business and the growth of any business will always be. Uh, developed quicker or slowed by the quality of people that you bring into the business. And to have a strategy of growth, it's not just, oh, I think I'm going to do this or I think I'm going to do that. There are certain stages of development positions that you can step growth. And, and it's not always a straight curve. And I suppose differently to a lot of people that I've spoken to, I'm not frightened to make a mistake. Um, I've always said that, you know, that every decision I make is not going to be a good one, but as soon as I make a bad one, stop it as soon as I possibly can. 
And I think the batch stuff is a good step because as you take two steps forward, sometimes you do need to take one step back for various different reasons. You know, I can record over the years deaths in the business. I can record people just falling out of the wife and moving away to another country. Everything is possible. And I kind of live in a world with no shops and no surprises. So I don't think there's a clear formula. But what I do know is that if you worry, you die. And if you don't worry, you die. So there's no point worrying about anything. Um, you've just got to face it, live with it. And, and don't quickly try to put right something that went wrong overnight because that's not normally the best way to get the best result. Yeah. I couldn't, I often said to my wife, if I was able to, to can it and sell it, it would be great. But you, you just can't because you're using so many senses, instinct, um, positive nature, communication, knowledge of people, so many things that you're using at all times to evaluate. And sometimes you see something and you think, you know, that's not going to be like that in six months' time. And you don't want to be right, but you are. Yeah, and again, I think that kind of links back what you said earlier uh, in terms of having uh, advisors or non-execs or mentors, and those weren't the words that you used, uh, but it's, it's having that experience and expertise uh, of people who can guide you. So let's talk about uh, recruitment, because uh, when people are starting out, they're mainly they, they haven't had much experience in terms of interviewing people or trying to hire the right or the best people they sometimes feel they haven't got enough money or cash flow to hire those uh, a star players what somebody who's, who's looking to take on their first ever employee doesn't know where to start what to do what advice would you give them Anybody who's worked for me, and there's been you know, a number over the, over the years, and it's not just a headline number, it's the number of people I've got. I've always opened an interview by saying to people, I've had an interview people, I'll just sit down, I want to get to know you, I want you to understand you, we're going to have to work close together, so it's important that you understand me and I understand you. And I, and I think that during that conversation, particularly where people kind of relax, you, you get to know them, you get to understand them, but you're looking at values, and I'm, I'm saying to people on a regular basis, tell me if five really good points about you. Tell me five great things and they'll tell you their attention to detail, their motivation, their enthusiasm. And then tell me five really bad things. And they'll say, well, I just can't get up in the mornings. You know, and, so it's, uh, and then you let them start at 10 and finish at six as opposed to being nine to five. It's having that flexibility with people. But mostly it's about their outputs and the fact that people within my business were always measured, their performance was measured. Um, some people don't like that, uh, and some people prefer to be in perhaps the, the, the public sector, um, and not everybody can be the same. So it's really about finding somebody that you can work with and that you want to develop, because your first employee is never really going to be the last, because that person won't stay with you forever. Yeah. Um, but the more that you retain, the more your opportunities of growth will continue. You're absolutely right because uh, I do something similar in fact uh, and I don't interview people nowadays that much because my, my team do it but I, I usually say to people, well I used to anyway, that this is an interview, this is a conversation, you get to know me, I get to know you, let's have a chat so don't think I've got 64 different questions prepared that I'm going to fire off at you because sometimes I think in an interview people kind of rehearse those standard questions like what are your strengths, what are your weaknesses, why should we give you this job? blah blah on and on yet uh, you're right the kind of question that that you've said to ask in terms of 
what are you good at what are you not so good at how would your manager describe you those kind of soft questions open people up and what i find is people are usually kind of very honest about where they are how they're thinking what works for them what doesn't work for them and as they become relaxed through that interview you can tell a lot about them and at the end it gives you kind of good guidance and clarity in fact if they're going to be right for you and if you're going to be right for them because an interview really is even though it's an employer employee future relationship it's about are each party right for one another uh, and i always make that very clear to people now something else which i've seen a lot by the way and it's a bit of a prickly topic to some people but uh, i know you well so i, I, I I'm sure you won't mind me asking is sometimes people hire a person or they might have two or three people in their team who aren't right for the business but they fail to let them go for different reasons what's your view on that and and if somebody has an employee who isn't quite right for the business uh, and they want to let go of them what kind of advice could you give them just to encourage them to take that next step in boardrooms, you don't have to like people for them to work for you. And, and the reason that they call it you're hiring somebody is because you hire them for 40 hours or however many hours per week. And I think that if you've got an issue with somebody within the workplace, too many people will sit on it and pretend that it doesn't happen, but it will be seen by others outside. And, and I would also say, you, you have to deal with it. And often, some people are not engaging or they're not doing something for you and it's often something very very simple business leaders tend to forget that they're leaders because they're different to other people and they expect other people to think as quickly and be able to re react as quickly and understand as quickly that, that's that's not how the tier of management and directors works directors direct managers manage and workers work and people choose their level with the amount of online training, people can train to be anything they want to be. And I never stood in the way of anybody who wanted to um, seek new opportunities. I would often encourage people to say, listen, I don't think at this time next year you're going to be within the business. And they said, you're probably right. And sometimes that escalated in the room. But I don't think it's a case where you need to sort of run somebody out the door or argue with somebody. I just think you need to sit down and, you know, divorce is for marriages. But there's a kind of a divorce in business as well with employees and you can make it simple and easy and discuss it or you can just try and pretend it's not there and, and i was always one that would always bring things to the boil or something good advice then linked with that uh i mean employee or team engagement uh has been a, a big topic for many years now what are some of the things that you did uh, to kind of engage your team members because obviously you had uh, best part of a hundred plus team members at eight or nine different locations that must have been challenging to, to manage of course it's difficult to, to get to know every single one personally and I'm sure you had supervisors and managers to assist with that but what, what were some, some of the things you did to engage and keep involved your key players Twice a year, it was in the summer or Christmas, and um, 
you know, when I look back at it, it, it was probably the night of the year that I dreaded the most since Christmas because you knew that anybody who really wanted to say something during the course of a free drinking food event was always going to tell you what they meant to tell you for the last 20 years or whatever the story was. Mm-hmm. But what, what I did was I took people to restaurants and I took a leaf out of the Forces book. Mm-hmm. And in the Forces, the workers go into the, the mess and the, the sergeants and, and the officers serve uh, the, the soldiers. And, and I did exactly that. And it allowed me the opportunity to get close to people. Um, and I did know people on a personal level, and I encouraged people, and always made sure that I sent them a note, or sent them a text, latterly, you know, to just say when they'd done something that was outstanding, make sure it was recorded, or that gave me the opportunity that if somebody wasn't quite as good, I could tell them that then as well, kind of an instant presence, involving style management. But I, I kind of guess when, what, what I always tried to do was to bring the whole business together. But of course, you've got people from so many different spheres, walks of life, salary levels, Whenever you brought the whole team together, they would always segment away into their own departments or their own large departments. So we tried to kind of evolve it so it was more departmental, it was on a smaller, more regular basis. And just a silly thing, like Friday afternoons, I I, I spent years and years always sitting at never drinking business, never having alcohol. If I ever went out for a lunch and I had a drink, I would just call it out and go back to work. But, you know, sort of quarter to five on a Friday, I'd just say, you know, open the fridge, let's get the beer and wine out. You know, we'd just sit there and just have a beer and chew the fat and finish the week off and then and go forward. So it didn't need to be anything grand. It really just needed to be an opportunity to, to kind of say thank you. And um, everything we did, large or small, was always very, very well appreciated by all the staff. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think people want you to be human and obviously have a, a connection with them, of course. When you get to, to the size of business that you had, as you say, it's difficult to know everybody personally. But it, but to make that effort, just to send them an email uh, or a text message, makes them feel special and knows that obviously the ultimate or boss cares about the, what they're doing. And I generally find, uh, you know, people talk about paying bonuses uh, and big pay rises and all that kind of stuff. And yes, that probably does motivate some people. But a lot of people really are looking for two things which are, which are connected and linked, I find. One is recognition, uh, and that could be verbal recognition uh, alongside other things, and also to be valued. People rather be valued at work uh, as a key player, as somebody who's important, than just be on a bonus and, and be fixated on doing the next task. Uh, and I guess you obviously did that pretty well with talking to people, staying connected uh, and taking them out for a meal or having a beer. Uh, so uh, again, that is probably part of the reason why uh, you were able to obviously grow such uh, a substantial business. Again, again, through my uh, experience of having worked with many different businesses over the last 17, 18 years, what I find is so for quite a few businesses, sometimes there's one or two key turning points things they didn't expect, customers or opportunities they didn't expect, uh, a new line of service or a new line of product or a new way of doing things which they didn't expect, but it kind of comes to their attention, which becomes a game changer. Did anything like that ever happen for you in your business? Yeah, I, I, I kind of think that the, the moments that spring to mind were, were, were negative 
moments that kind of happened through the 2008-9 recession and things like that. I mean, we always stayed abreast of the, of the marketplace and the market conditions, and we always use what we refer to as Merlin Stock, which is a manual that you probably know, which is a sector guide to all companies in your sector, their gross profitability, net profitability. So we always use the benchmarking like that. But you always relied on certain suppliers, and if you looked at uh, Germany and Italy for their exhibitions, they would normally bring products into their market in May and June, and would come into us in January. So we always had early indicators of product changes. But at one stage, we had 147 kitchen displays and 42 bedroom displays. So again, you know, you need to be constantly changing. And, and the word that I use a lot is evolve. You know, a business never ever stands still. It's always evolving, it's always moving. And there's always opportunity. And, and I liken that sometimes to bars. Most people know that, that, that I've got a high spirit person I'm popping out from beer to. But I, I watch a barman and they stand there and wait for you to ask for a drink. And then I go to places where it's a profession like Ireland and they're busy and they're rushing around and they're doing things. And, and as business owners, you, there's always something you do. Don't, don't ever stand still. There's always something to do. I was just laughing to myself there because I remember that you said about the team thing. We did the knockout for two or three years for NSPCC charity. Just take all the staff down, the children, the families were all entertained, put a barbecue up, even the organisers of the NSPCC. The only thing that we didn't factor in was how many injuries we would have on a Monday morning. <laughs> it's not that scene, so I wouldn't recommend that one. Yeah. Um, so I hope that's answered that question. It has, and that leads me on, on nicely to something else which I want to talk about later, but you've opened that up now. Obviously, uh, owning a business, whether somebody's a one-person band or uh, wants to be classed as a small business owner, as an entrepreneur, they can use whatever title uh, they so choose. But as you've said, the mind's busy, the to-do list never ends, the 84 plates keep spinning, uh, and yet it's important to uh, have a decent work-life balance. Everybody obviously has a different, different definition. How did you make time to relax and enjoy time with your wife and your son especially in the earlier days uh, when people are usually more hungry they're looking to grow the, the, the enthusiasm's higher generally speaking uh, so how and, and to balance that with obviously home life can sometimes be a struggle and as, as you've said uh, earlier sometimes that can lead people to divorce unfortunately so uh, the one thing that they started, which, which was their business, to kind of feed their family uh, and give them uh, a better lifestyle, ends up being the cause uh, of misery. So, how did you manage your work-life balance? I, I started the business with my wife, and that's the truth. Um, I mean, it's not Steal it, and that also you get value from anything. 
you know, people always said there's no such thing as a free lunch, but I was never a great lunch person, really, because um, mm. I'd rather sit with somebody in the meeting and, and discuss our industry and learn something about our industry, rather than who was the top star in EastEnders or Coronation Street. I never had any interest in that at all. I just focused purely on what I was doing. And I, I, I kind of described it recently that I've got my life back. Um, because when you have a business, if you want to grow that business, you want to do everything um, that you need to do. And Andrew Kent, locally, locally, is a great example of that, mm. reaching the Times Rich List. He's dedicated his whole life um, to what he's done, and he had the reasons why he wanted to do what he's done, and, and, and he's done it. I kind of guess everybody I speak to knows how to work hard, but knows how to play hard. Uh, and that's where you get the balance and you get the rewards back from it. You, you're absolutely right, but I think. Uh, sometimes people get so engrossed in work that work's the only thing that they think about. I mean, I've, I've lost count uh, in terms of the number of people who've said to me, I just can't switch off. I'm always thinking about work. I'd rather be at work, but obviously I'm, there's so many different reasons why that might be the case, but you're absolutely right. You've got to find that balance or whatever that balance may be. And part of that balance, of course, is people are not very good at managing themselves and not good at uh, managing time. So what are some of the things that you did, Ian, that helped you to better manage your time? I, I think I was always disciplined. You know, people talk about those lists and, and, and things like that. I turned my business completely upside down and said that if we make enough leads, then we'll make enough sales and we'll make enough profit. So most people go the other way and they chase it from sales. So I, I, I just changed it and made sure that those plates that were spinning at all times, that we never ever um, spun more plates than we could manage. You know, I often used to use beat dictum. Two things I did. One was that I, I gave people two balls, and everybody could juggle two balls quite slowly. And then you give them a third ball, and the, the, the object of the exercise was they would drop all three. So, so never really juggle or spin more plates than you can spin, because it's going to end in a disaster. And, and the other thing I did was, I used to get a candle, health and safety wanted to be on at the time, but I used to get a candle, I used to light the candle and, and, and really build the picture and say, we're going to work, and our minds, our minds are going to blow this candle. And just switch the lights off and get it all ready, and I say, right, just concentrate now for 10 seconds, and we used to watch this candle, and they thought it was doing a magic trick. And in the end, I just used to walk around and blow it out, and I said, if anything's going to happen, it's because you're going to make it happen, nothing's going to happen for you. And, and those are the kind of dramatic things that I did with many people. And I had lots and lots of stories over the years where people came to me and said, I can't believe I'm doing this for you. I never, never ever thought I'd be able to do it. And, and it's just about instilling that confidence. And, and the individual or the person who's sweating and struggling, and not sweating physically, but struggling with their workload, often, you know, they talk about the straw that breaks the camel's back. Yeah. And often, if you just help them with one, one very small thing, and, and words that people would be used to, like outsourcing something or, or, or shared responsibility, it can actually just be that light at the end of the tunnel. And one of the things that was a light for me was a, a book called uh, The Naked Leader by David Taylor. And uh, sometimes you just get your headspace just gets really squashed by everything that's going on, and you, you can't really see what's going on, and, and you're just thinking, I need to make a decision about that. Procrastination begins to, to, to build in. And people talk about mental health, and it's, it's hugely important that you understand, as a leader, what's going on. Because if you don't research it and understand it, then that can, that can bring you down and cause major problems. 
But after about two chapters of the book, I realised that I wasn't anti-public. I, I was the leader of a business, and I hadn't experienced all these people and all these issues and all these problems. 2008, 9, the, the, the recession, it was never there. But as soon as I realised that it taught me one thing in two chapters, make a decision. And that's what it was all about. And that's, that, that was the whole book, The Naked Leader by David Taylor. Yep, and I'm uh, sure uh, if anybody hasn't read that book, please do. Uh, you'll get loads of value from it. I, I did read that quite a few years ago, and you're right, it is a good book. We've got a question from uh, Stephen Stewart, which, which I'll come to in, in a second. But you're absolutely right in, that, in the sense that people are always looking for a big idea sometimes, or that one big thing that is either going to have a, a massive shift in their business or in their thinking or for their team members yet you're absolutely right sometimes it's it's just a small nudge a small tweak a small change even just by encouraging your team members to do one small thing in a very different way and suddenly uh, over a, a number of weeks and months you then see a different person appear and I guess possibly that's a bit of encouragement it's confidence it's enthusiasm it's that they see that their manager or their boss is supporting them and then they grow into somebody who they never thought they could ever become. And I guess that's probably from my point of view, one of the best things about owning a business is taking people on a journey and helping them to grow and develop so that when the business achieves more, all of the components, i.e. all of the team members, achieve more because they've personally grown, developed and become something that they never ever thought that, that they could become. Uh, so, so you're right, it is about those small little marginal shifts which make a huge difference. But to come on to Stephen's questions, he's saying he's uh, enjoying this interview and he's thanked you for, for uh, doing the interview, uh, which is very nice of him. His question is, if, you've, if you're having to manage more than one site, i.e. multiple sites, what advice would you give to somebody in, in terms of how to manage those sites? So, uh, first of all, I would make sure that each site had a target, uh, and that target was broken down to as many key performance indicators as it possibly could. Um, and I don't know what business team is on, but it's relevant to all businesses that there's a performing standard that you would expect. And what happens is that the performing standard, providing measured accurately, is either used as an excuse or used uh, by somebody to reward somebody who doesn't do well. And of course, as a business does well, it doesn't reach a plateau and finish because targets can be up, targets are expectations and rewards for those targets can be done. But whenever there's another site, I would always say that spread yourself between both sites. Don't limit yourself to one site and let somebody else do another. Always make sure that you're on the ground. Most business leaders can smell a problem when they walk in somewhere. There's something that's not quite right. Can't always put your finger on it, but you, you definitely know. So be around the business. And if you're building a, a business to have a second establishment, make sure that your values are replicated in the second site in exactly the same way as they are in the first site. So you're building your identity for the future. And those are things, just easy pointers that I'll give to Stephen about that. And in, in terms of, and again, uh, picking up on one, on one of the points there, uh, if people don't know where to start with their KPIs, I know you, you're helping a lot of businesses with uh, the non-exec role. If people don't know where to start with, with their KPIs 
again just as a blanket answer what are some of the kind of key numbers or metrics again keeping it very general would you recommend or suggest that they start with okay so we we, we did basic kpis very very simply anybody who opened one of our stores had to phone into head office to report from the phone number in there that they were open and recorded every day if somebody was on site on time every day that kind of set a tone for the business that we were. We would then record the footfall, so that was the amount of people who came into the store. We would then break down the reason into categories one to five of why they came into the store. And then we'd record the number of leads that we generated, the number of revisits into our store, the number of sales that we made, and the volume of sales. So if you start with that sort of data, it would be one, none, two, three. But over a period of time, that grows. And, and it depends what's important to your business. What do you need? The phone to ring? Visit? Um, do you need to make outward calls? And over the years, we found it much easier with technology. So we didn't need to record the number of people going into the store because the camera systems did it for us. But we carried on with that manual system because the, the people who worked within the store liked to do that. And, and also the declaration of figures, you know, people sending their figures through in, a, in, a, in an old-fashioned way. It didn't need to be done, but we carried on doing it because people like that text that went back to them and said, well done, you know. So but it's very basic, but it's very important you record it because every business that I've found has a seasonal adjustment somewhere within yeah. their year. And, and seasonal adjustments can be bad for mental disorders as well because... People have SADS disease to start off with, so they've already got seasonal adjustment uh, uh, syndrome. But then that coupled with their business losing traction in terms of sales, but in effect it's exactly the same as last year. So it's something that you don't have to accept. You can work against it, you can work and say, no, it's not going to happen this year, we're going to push, we're going to do everything that we can to get our own fair share. But be realistic in saying, well, okay, if we just go 10% of what we did last year, last year was okay, but have that measure. And that comes from that key performance indicator that you, as an individual business owner, must set. Nobody can set them for you. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, those KPIs, I mean, I'm a numbers guy, as you know. Uh, so those KPIs are going to give you direction in terms of what's working well, what isn't working well, what are the patterns here, what are the correlations. So the, the, so the data pretty much drives your business and tells you what to do, what not to do. And yet it's, it's still amazing how many people don't actually just even track basic KPIs. And like, I, guess, I guess sometimes I'm asked that question. I say, well, if you don't know where to start, just track your turnover, track your profit, track the cash in the bank and uh, uh, track some of your sales activity, marketing activity, debt, bad debt. Just start with those numbers. It's an iterative process. After a while, you'll then start becoming smart about it and you'll start tracking key numbers, which are even more important. But it, the important thing is to make a start and start tracking some of the numbers. Now, I'm going to throw a bit of a curved ball here, which I hope you don't mind because you've touched on it a couple of times. Uh, so this isn't a, a kind of a personal question to you, but uh, you've uh, mentioned mental health a couple of times. Uh, and having talked to uh, a lot of people, as you know, I'm also a, a local politician for, for all my sins. Uh, I just like more and more punishment, uh, Ian. But I find a lot of people, generally speaking, uh, especially men, don't like talking about mental health so, so they might have employees who are suffering mental health they might be suffering 
mental health and it's one of those taboo topics people don't like talking about so without kind of getting personal about any of one of your employees uh, did you ever have to face that with one of your employees if you did if there's somebody else out there listening who's either going through that themselves or they've got an employee going through that if you've got that experience what advice would you give them in terms of seeking help or doing things differently People have been close to me, both in business and privately. They, they've said to me, Ian, I've known you for 15 years, but I don't really know you. And I, I never really found the need to talk about myself to other people. Um, I could often join into conversations with my knowledge of business or whatever. But I think the thing is that mental health is a real issue. And 20, 20 plus, probably 22, 23 years ago, I engaged... Um, clinical psychologist. Um, I had certain members of staff that were going through particularly difficult periods in their life. And whilst I could encourage and um, I could listen, I could make them better. And um, she's still local, Barbara Thomas. And um, I still send people, as, as last year for instance, uh, I, I sent some to see Barbara. Because you, most people who have it don't know they've got it. And it takes somebody who recognises a change in character. Um, and then you begin to say, you know, the normal questions like, how are you doing? What are you doing this weekend then? You know, well, not a lot. She's not very happy or he's not very happy or whatever. And then you get a feeling it's a relationship issue. So you think, well, that's kind of pretty normal. Yeah. But it, it's when people's performance um, starts to drop and their own persona. So one of my things was I would walk around the office every morning wherever I was there, and say good morning to everybody. And it was a hyper-pitch morning! And if I got a dull reply, I'd leave it 20 minutes or half an hour, and I'd go back and say, you feeling a bit better now? Because I wouldn't let them have a bad day, I'd let them have about 20 minutes. Yeah. But if that progressed any further, then I would sometimes say to them, any chance you could stay behind after work? I'd just like to have five minutes with you on a one-to-one. So that gave them an opportunity to say no, no, I don't want to see you, I don't need crying in my affairs. But equally, if they came to me, that was the only branch that I could say, listen, can I help you? Can I, can I introduce you to somebody? And, um, you know, one guy in particular was writing a million pounds a year for me. Um, you know, that's 10% of our own return over there. And, you know, when that guy goes off, it's, it's like uh, Harry Kane getting an injury. You know, yeah. it's really, you want him back in as quickly as possible. And, um, you know, even... 15 years ago that happened, 10 years ago probably, um, the guy would still, when he fell down, he would still contact Barbara because he knew Barbara could fix it, just the same as any physio or anything else. But anybody who's out there and who is suffering, it's a really high profile thing, but I think it's really heavily involved with it. And at the highest level, you've just got to remember, we're not machines, we're, we're people. We have injuries, you know, our car goes in for a service. You know, when does the business leader go in and give himself a service, have his heart checked, have his rescue checked, his hearing? You know, nothing worse than being a director of a business and you keep going, pardon? Sorry, you speak, you saying something? Go and get yourself checked out. That's what you've got to do. Yeah, absolutely. Good advice. And talk to, to, to somebody, get it out there. I think people kind of hold on to stuff for way, way too long. It kind of becomes that excess baggage. The longer they hold on to it, the worse it gets, the more negative sometimes they become. Uh, and, I, and I think with mental health, to some extent, Ian, and you're right, it's, 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 
invisible, you can't see it. Uh, so people end up suffering in silence and by the time they actually do something about it, they find out they've been suffering and struggling for the last 10 years uh, because they've just not talked about it. Uh, and it, 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 it's something which is growing and as you've said, there are high profile people who have talked about it over the years, but uh, I think it's a big conversation uh, which needs to be had on a much bigger level to help and support people because it's just going to get worse and worse and worse. And I'm sure uh, next year uh, we're going to hear about how many additional people have been affected by mental health just because of, of COVID. And yet that, is, that conversation isn't taking place right now. So uh, you're right, people need to reach out, talk to somebody, find help. There's no shame in that whatsoever. It's just a journey and people have ebbs and flows, highs, uh, highs and lows. And uh, if, if you happen to be a victim of something, talk about it, get over it. And the best thing about being an entrepreneur or a business owner is you address and overcome those challenges, which again leads me on to my next uh, question for you is, what are some of the kind of key or big mistakes that you've made in your business? And what did you learn from them? in terms of when your business faced that difficulty, uh, do you think it was all external forces uh, or was there something internally which you should have been doing, which you weren't doing, apart from obviously sacking yourself and bringing in an external chairman okay. or chairperson? I think at the, at the, at the time in 2010, um, we, we've been established for 17 years. Um, we've had a nine stores and um, in the May, meeting and my supplier, I'd grown with that supplier and made 
probably a, a, a bad decision having all my eggs in one basket. Yeah. They were also the research and design area. There was a chance that we may have bought into their business at some stage. And they literally put my proposal into a restructure that was never going to work. And we lost our kitchen supplier overnight. And that's why I know how many kitchen displays we had, because we couldn't sell any of them. They'd literally gone out of business, nothing in, nothing out. And we had to, one, find a supplier um, and scour the country and did everything that you needed to do. But I kind of guess that just put me into a position, once I get this back and right, I'm going to need to enjoy this for a period of time. So that stopped us from the growth that we necessarily needed. However, what it did do is it became the catalyst to us becoming our own manufacturer. And 2012, when we opened our factory, you know, I would look at that as being a landmark moment for the business uh, and also for the opportunities that, that manufacturing brings. Um, I'd always, funny enough, suffered with asthma and thought I'd be very sneezy in a factory, but um, I, I never have been. It's, it's been fine. You talked about diversification, which I know you're a big fan of, uh, as am I, uh, because I always believe that having it in one source of income or relying on one employee or any anything which is based on one uh, is usually usually very dangerous and, and high risk because if that one thing doesn't work, just like your example of having that one star or key salesperson who was bringing in a million pounds, who obviously you were heavily relying upon uh, what what what's your view and your thoughts on businesses diversifying either by going into a different sector or maybe going into property or going into a different business what are your thoughts on that i'm i'm all for people doing that providing they don't spread themselves too too thin uh, i sat at a dinner one day and um, the golf in front of me and there was a ladies football sitting with me for dinner. And one of the ladies turned around and said, well, you men can't multitask. And I said, um, well, some can. And this lady was a full-time dentist, children of four, and she was a five-handicap at golf. So clearly she could multitask. But up until that moment, which was late 1990s, I hadn't realised quite what multitasking was. And once I understood it, then I always made sure that I didn't overstretch myself. And there was periods within the week what I would never do again was have an ill-disciplined diary or schedule that would suggest to me that I've got too much going on. And, and yeah. a number of PAs, people laughed when I did my charity golf day for 15 years. There was only one PA who did more than two golf days, and we had it once a year. And people used to laugh, so they can't keep up with me. Because the pace that I work at is the pace. And, and to be fair, there are, there are easier roles as a PA playing similar, so why would they stand in for too long? Um, I don't have many Christmas cards off the mind. And then the question is coming and then, then, then I've got a final point and then our work today is done because I've taken up enough of your time already for which obviously I'm very grateful. The question is, what was your biggest risk? That's the question that's coming. So, so I assume that probably that that's what, what was the biggest risk you took or what was the big biggest risk in your business that you mitigated so I'm going to assume the question is what was the biggest risk you took in your business okay so if I, if I, if I say to you in 1985 my son was one and I was the manager of the carpet shop in, in Cambridge and I've been quickly promoted and I was the youngest manager in a Harris carpet store and for me to get promoted it was going from nearly 400 stores and there was 10 area managers. 
So I could never see myself getting promoted. So with my 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 son, one year old, uh, mortgage, I went out and went self-employed with no basic, no car, no nothing, self-employed selling kitchens. And I kind of think at the time, if I hadn't have done that and hadn't taken that opportunity as it was given to me, where I just worked and earned what I was worth, that it would have never have led me on to being able to take risks that I took in the future. When um, I signed leases on buildings, looking back in reflection, I hoped that it would work. But in reality, what I did was I said, I've got to make this work because everything depended on it. So when I used to look at it, I did what the Duke of Wellington did. I used to look at it, draw a line and say, the fours of doing this and against. And sometimes I went against what Wellington might have done. But I knew that I was replicating something that I'd done uh, before. So when I looked at leases at 30,000 and then we went to 70,000 or 100,000, it was all pro rata to what we were capable of doing. And as we put more products into stores, there was, there was more things there. I think that some of the risks, are, are, I wasn't blind to them, but, I, but I, I, didn't, I didn't look at them as hard as I might have done at 56 now as I did when I was 36. And I used to gamble, but since I've been in business and, and employing people, you don't need to gamble because every day is a gamble and you make yeah. so much more of the success and, and those figures and the accounts that, that you guys produce. Yeah, absolutely. So there's nothing that I would single out as, as one single risk. Yeah, I mean, being in business, but I guess it is a risk in itself. But again, as you've said, you manage that, you, you work out the, the upside, you work out the downside and you think through things. But you and I could sp easily spend another two or three hours here talking about, obviously, your extensive expertise. But just to finish off, at the moment, you're helping uh, businesses as a non-exec non and chairman or chairperson. Uh, what does that involve? Um, in, with, the, with the businesses that I'm a director of, obviously it's different. I, I'm not getting involved as a non-executive chairman with any individual company. I'm doing that because I want people to succeed and I want them to understand. I also have as a remit, as a deputy lieutenant, to push people forward for, push people, but encourage people to look at the Queen's Awards for Enterprise and to, to get the recognition that that deserves. I have worked very closely with people at Business Awards for a number of years and I've been amazed at the talent and the continual fresh talent that I see at those awards. And there are some businesses that we in Peterborough start, have more startup companies two years ago than any other town or city in the country. Yeah. And those people need help and it's, it's those type of people where 10 minutes on the phone or, or on a Zoom call or to just ask me a question and do that. I'm more than willing to help them. I don't want to roll within their business. I don't want any payment for it. I just want to try and help people because I kind of guess that life's been good to me um, and I've enjoyed what I've done. I've been very fortunate in that. And, and if I could stop somebody from doing something stupid or, 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 or thinking their, their business is no good or whatever, just by trying to change their mindset and view it from a different angle, you know, a diamond doesn't sparkle in every light. It only sparkles in certain lights. And it's just reminding people, business for me was always 99% perspiration yeah. and 1% inspiration. Yeah. And well, those values I will have and continue to have for the rest of my life. Well said. Thank you very much for that. And obviously it's encouraging and 
inspirational to see you supporting so many, especially uh, local businesses. If somebody does want to contact you, is there a particular way for them to do that? On that note, thank you very much, uh, Ian. It's been an absolute pleasure. Like I said, we could we could sit here for three three or four hours quite easily, talk about so many other things with your vast experience. But thank you for being so open, so transparent, sharing so much. I know people have got value. Obviously, some have have asked questions as well. Uh, so thank you so much for doing that. And I hope everybody who's tuned in or who's going to tune in later on as this uh, video goes onto YouTube, LinkedIn, elsewhere. Uh, that they will find value and if you have any any questions or you want to reach out to Ian he's available he's got lots of experience and I'm sure he'll be more than happy to hear from you until next time bye for now thanks for listening to wealth made simple you can follow and contact Shaz on the Facebook pages Entrust Property Tax and The Profits Wizard. You can also find Shaz on LinkedIn, YouTube and Instagram. Alternatively, email him at shaz at aa-accountants.co.uk. Build your wealth by mastering money.